Hey, I'm your host, Sarah Sennett. I'm a master's qualified digital marketer. Together, we're going to up-level your marketing game. My aim for the Marketing Mindset Club is to give you clarity on how to create and communicate value. Learn the latest marketing techniques, build your skill set, and develop the confidence you need to get the results you want. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to season two of the Marketing Mindset Club podcast. How are you doing? Did you enjoy the tiny bit of summer we had here in the UK? It was absolutely glorious for all of about a week and now it feels as if summer has been and gone and we are officially back to the dreary drizzle. But I do love the crackle of autumn leaves and the cooler evenings so I hope it's a time where you've been able to have a bit of a break and you've been able to take some time for yourself. You may remember at the end of the last season, I talked a lot about burnout and self-care. It's still top of my mind and it has been over the summer and trying to get life back into some form of equilibrium is still a real priority for me. And how's work going for you? Are you seeing successes in the area that you want to? I'm still amazed at the upheaval and the disruption being caused by COVID-19 and it doesn't seem to be subsiding and as I'm recording this it feels uh, unfortunately like we're about to experience a second spike here in the UK which is terrifying. Some businesses are thriving and if you're in that group I'm so thrilled for you but some people are still being made redundant, businesses are still closing and it's a really difficult time. If you're experiencing job insecurity, I just want you to take a moment and repeat to yourself, I am strong, this is not about me. Remember, you are brilliant, you're talented and you will find a new path and none of this is a personal reflection of you. If you do find yourself looking for a new job or you're about to branch out on your own, I'm really hoping this podcast will help. It's the whole mission behind why I started this podcast. If you're completely new to marketing, you're very welcome here. I'm going to do my best to make these episodes valuable to you, no matter what your level of digital marketing experience. But it's hopefully going to be an especially useful tool for anyone who is looking for a new job, maybe thinking about starting out as a freelancer or a consultant. I'm hoping this knowledge will give you the edge, will keep you up to date in just a few short minutes every week. This season is going to follow the same structure as season one. So each episode is going to cover the digital news bit and what matters about the top stories. The learning bit where I'll deep dive on a topic, a technique, a tool or a strategy. And the real life lessons bit where we'll talk about results I've seen or results that have been shared from other marketers. So let's dive in and kick off with the digital news. The shift to online shopping continues to grow. We saw consumer behaviours shift online at the start of the pandemic as need outweighed learned habits. However, Waitrose reported that 77% of the British public now do part of their grocery shopping online, which echoes the insights that Mintel gathered earlier in the year where they predicted that online grocery market would grow several more times than it would have had lockdown and COVID not happened. And it doesn't seem like in-store experience is going to increase anytime soon. E-Consultancy reported that Rakuten Advertising found 90% of back-to-school purchases in the UK would take place online. 
And eBay has also gone as far as predicting that Christmas shopping is going to start early in the UK. And it seems to me that Christmas comes into the stores almost as soon as back to school is over. So this is going to be weird to see what the definition of early is in the online experience. So what does this mean for your business? It means a couple of things. Firstly, if you have a bricks and mortar business and your online presence isn't all that, get it sorted. Your online store is probably going to do more for you than you think it will in this half of the year if you can get it optimised and you can keep it regularly updated. Take some custom photos, write custom product descriptions and keep your inventory updated. Secondly, it means that if you're looking for a new business opportunity and you can retail products in food and drink, DIY, home entertainment and interiors, there is a market out there that is gearing up to shop early for Christmas. If you can source it, ship it, including drop shipping, and manage inventory, you can probably sell this year. Airbnb's audience is expected to fall by about 60% in the US this year and I would expect the same is probably true here in the UK and the same trend is probably happening for lots of self-catering accommodation providers. It echoes the same behaviour we're seeing in travel across the board. Statista estimated that travel and tourism revenue in the UK will almost halve this year from around 40 billion to 20 billion. If you're in this marketplace, there's no doubt the audience available and willing to travel this year has decreased. But the main thing you can do if your venue is open and you have services to provide is to address travellers' main concern, which is safety. They need to know more about your cleaning procedures, social distancing and safety precautions than ever before. Now, all three of those areas might seem like the most boring possible content that you could produce and it might appear to be the most boring campaign you've ever created but we discussed how brands are adopting this approach and getting results with it in season one episode three so go back and listen to that one for more detail on that topic. Google have just published an article about changing video trends that have emerged as a result of the pandemic they noticed that people were turning to video to meet their immediate needs of coping with social isolation, replicating essential services like learning and keeping things they are passionate about alive. Now, I found this piece fascinating because they partnered with Susan Kresnicka, a US-based cultural anthropologist, who shared a framework for understanding consumer behaviour. And it relates to three core needs that all people experience. Self-care social connection and identity. They discovered that people were gravitating towards nature sounds and dream sound videos and that food content was increasingly popular as people sought to cook new dishes at home while restaurants were closed. The with me category of content like get ready with me saw a 600% growth in views since March as we humans try to maintain some feeling of social connection. Tour videos were also more highly viewed than before, such as museum tours, as people tried to enrich their social experiences and connections with virtual visits to places of interest. And the third category of consumer behaviour, identity, is a little harder to define in terms of behaviour outcomes. Things like how to cut your own hair videos grew in popularity, as did other specialised skill sharing and belief related content, all of which are key to discovering who we are. So what does this mean for your future content? In the article, Kresnica recommends refocusing on some fundamental principles. And I quote, 
Marketers know that to be successful, their offerings must create value for people. And often that value involves helping them meet their core needs, she says. Why is a hundred-year-old soda brand still the market leader? Because it boosts our energy and mood? Self-care. Brings us back to previous times in our lives? Identity. And makes us feel connected to others who share the same experience? Social connection. Thinking this way forces us to understand deeply and holistically how a product or service operates in people's lives. When we do, we open up new ways to communicate, to connect and to serve people. So how can you apply the thinking from that piece to your business? You can elevate your messaging from purely functional to an emotional level and think about how your product or offer helps people self-care, their social connection and their identity. For instance, when discussing an item of home decor like a houseplant, it's not just green with some variegated leaves in a pot that's 20 centimetres high and it needs sunlight. It's about oxygenating your environment so you can think more clearly and live your best life. Do you see the difference in how the messaging changes? I think it's a really important principle that many people can adopt and you'll see real results if you switch the focus in your message. So let's move on to the main thing I wanted to talk about today, which is cookies. Now, cookie notices are a part of our daily digital lives and even more so in the UK since GDPR. For anyone unfamiliar, that is the General Data Protection Regulation and it was introduced in the UK in May 2018. It concerns any business that collects and processes personal data in this country. Now, there's no avoiding the relentless stream of cookie notices you're confronted with on your first visit to almost any site, but especially those from UK businesses. You'll probably have seen a wide variety of different types, from those that force you to accept or decline cookies before proceeding, to those that are more subtle and assume you're agreeing to cookies. Now, strictly speaking, every user should specifically have to opt into cookies, but in practice, that's still not always the case. But before we discuss more about them, let's talk about what a cookie actually is. A cookie, or HTTP cookie to give it its full name, is a small piece of data that's placed on a user's device when they visit a website. You can think about it like the name label you get when you're visiting a networking event for the first time. It quite often says your name, your business, and sometimes a conversation starter or something about you. Cookies work in a very similar way. There are first-party cookies and there are third-party cookies. First-party cookies are created by the website you visit and these enhance your experience like remembering language settings, content preferences or previous behaviour on the site. Third-party cookies are set by domains that are not the website you're visiting but are re related to your visit. The most common example are analytics and advertising tracking cookies. Now, we marketers rely on cookies for all sorts of things, especially for analytics. Google Analytics, for example, functions by placing a third-party cookie within a user's browser. Essential that we're able to calculate the return on investment in our marketing activities in order to drive efficiency and plan effective future activity. But as data privacy expectations heighten, the life expectancy of the cookie as a core part of our digital marketing and campaign optimization is, I fear, limited. Firefox and Safari are already blocking all third-party cookies by default, and Chrome will start phasing out third-party cookies from 2022. 
Now this is the big one as Chrome has market share of browser traffic around the world. Among other things, this means that a significant portion of website visits won't be tracked. It means retargeting audiences could become a thing of the past and attributing conversions to specific channels is only going to get harder. So what do we do? Given that Marketing Land labeled the future as post-cookie-pocalypse marketing, catchy mnemonic, given that Marketing Land labeled the future as post-cookie-pocalypse marketing, we can assume that it's going to mean some big changes in how we approach return on investment calculations. Now, it's something I've been giving a lot of thought to because without third-party cookies, a lot of advertising and paid media strategies will fall down unless there is a an alternative solution. So these are the things I think we can do. First thing we can do is to make more use of first party cookies, which probably means aiming for more logged in sessions for users. We'll probably need to prompt users to be logged in from the beginning, which will also be a benefit to them because it means we can deliver a more personalized web experience. We'll also need to get opt-ins to share their data for the purposes of marketing to them, which is what should be happening anyway. It's just that assumed opt-in for third-party cookies has been the norm for so long, even in spite of GDPR. But if we do get that positive opt-in, we can then use this data to do customer-matched audiences across the desired advertising platforms for marketing. In terms of analytics, I think CMS analytics platforms will grow in popularity. I also think that first-party cookies in web builds from the outset or specific projects to retrofit them to site are going to become more common. However, Google isn't just going to let their flagship analytics platform die at the same time as third parties do. They blogged about building a more private web last year in 2019, stating that they were concerned for user privacy and also that without third-party cookies, it could jeopardize publishers' sites who rely on ad revenue. Now, they referenced a study that showed a 52% revenue drop for a publisher's site when there is no cookie present for a user. Now, whether or not you can rely on those figures is to be debated, as it was a piece of research Google themselves undertook. So the initiative they've come up with to respond to this situation is called the Privacy Sandbox. It is, and I quote, a secure environment for personalization that also protects user privacy. Our goal is to create a set of standards that is more consistent with users' expectations of privacy. Now, one idea that they suggest is that user data could be aggregated anonymously and still be used to deliver relevant ads to the right users. I think it's safe to assume that Google will come up with their version of privacy on the web without relying on third-party cookies, but will it put privacy in the hand of the users? I'm curious to see. I'm all for being in control of your own data online, but also as a marketer, I believe that the right ad served to the right person at the right time is a useful enhancement to the web experience and something that we should continue to pursue. In an interview with Digiday in January this year, Amit Kotecha, a marketing director at a data management platform Permutive, explained the key features of the proposed sandbox. They said, the most significant item in the privacy sandbox is Google's proposal to move all user data into the Chrome browser where it will be stored and processed. This means that data stays on the user's device and is privacy compliant. This is now table stakes and the gold standard for privacy. As far as I can tell, 
Google hasn't yet elaborated on how that user data would be shared, if at all, with advertisers. Are we to expect that we'll still have plenty of affinity audiences, similar audiences and in-market audiences to advertise through through Google Ads, but that to retarget users on other platforms will need first-party data? Possibly, but you have to watch this space. In terms of what you need to be thinking about right now for your business, the next 6 to 12 months I think are going to be crucial, so you'll need to think about how you're going to respond when third-party cookies finally become extinct. What is it going to mean for your offer and your bottom line? Consider bringing your attention to first-party cookies and enhancing your web personalization activities. Getting positive opt-in for marketing activities from your existing customer base is something you can be doing right now to give you that option in the future to do customer matching on other platforms. Being ahead of the game now, I think, is where the battle is going to be won or lost. So on to the real life lessons bit. Um, today I wanted to talk about Facebook and Instagram ads. The platform itself, now that it is all in one place, um, for those who don't know, Instagram ads are served through the Facebook ads platform. It's an incredibly accessible platform. It's easy for anyone to get started with, which is both a blessing and a curse. How many times have you heard someone say they tried Facebook ads and it didn't work for them? Well, I've heard it a lot. What someone means when they say this is that they didn't see the results they were expecting, but often they can't identify exactly what they were expecting to see either. So if you're considering taking on a client who is skeptical of the channel, but you have a good reason to think it's worth trying, here are some of the things you can do to build trust and also help them understand why they feel it didn't work last time. The first point is give an objective opinion on their previous activity. Now, it's usually pretty easy for a marketer to identify areas where a campaign that's been put together by someone who's not from a marketing background can be optimised. And that's not to say that you have to be a marketer to effectively use the platform. It's not that at all. It just means that having a strategic marketing brain, you can identify areas of improvement because you know more about how the customer journey functions. As always, be sensitive with this. Sometimes even the best intentions don't produce results. So identify the positive outcomes as well as those things that need addressing for the next set of activity. Number two is align your proposed activity with the audience knowledge. As an agency or a consultant, you probably won't know the business's audience like the people who work in it day to day. You can use the insights from their existing data, such as CMS, e-commerce platform, analytics platform, etc. But delve into the first-hand feedback from the team on the shop floor, so to speak, as much as you can. I guarantee there will be some gems in there, not to mention that you're building the relationship with your client and creating empathy with their ambitions at the same time. Point three is to get clear on the value proposition. As we've discussed several times on the podcast before, successful advertising is simply a value exchange. Your ads need to clearly answer these questions in a user's head. Is it interesting? Are you trustworthy? Is this the right product or the right solution for me? So no matter how great your targeting is and your audience profiles are, if you're not creating value in the content and the creative, you might be setting yourself up for a fall. That's not meant to keep you in a place of inaction. If you're not sure, test and try and fail and learn, but do it in a structured way and that's all okay. 
take your client on the journey and help them understand what you're trying to find out with each test and each round of activity. Point four is agree the KPIs up front. One thing that you'll probably find evident from the time they said it didn't work is they didn't set any key performance indicators, which are KPIs. So they couldn't know if it was working or not. And when you take over the account, set KPIs that are relevant and achievable for the different stages in the user journey that you're working on impacting. That means setting awareness or engagement or conversion KPIs or a combination of all three if that's helpful. But let them know what you're aiming for in the end. Marketing success isn't a certainty. If it was, everyone would be running their own business. So be sure you're managing your clients' expectations and go on the journey together. And that's all I have for you this week. Thank you so much for coming back to the Marketing Mindset Club for season two. I'm so glad you tuned in. If you haven't yet subscribed or left a review, please consider doing so if you're getting value from the show. It really helps me out in my goal to grow this club and to help more marketers. I'd love to hear your thoughts, comments and questions as always. So head over to Instagram at Marketing Mindset Club and I'll see you next time.